Hey, just a quick note. Sarah's guest today runs a business called The Bad Empire, and we're going to be using a bit of language on this episode. If you've got kids around, this might be one you want to use headphones for. Good girl brainwashing are all the societal and media messages that train women to be small, silent, subordinate, and it has these habits ingrained in us like people-pleasing, perfectionism, fear of speaking up, and just prioritizing everyone else before ourselves. It makes us forget our own dreams for the sake of other people's dreams. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Startup Parent Podcast. This is the show where we get to talk to working parents, entrepreneurs, and business leaders about what it looks like to raise kids while also building companies. If you're in the thick of it with your career or your business and you've got little ones at home, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Today's guest on the show is Lisa Carmen Wang. Lisa is the founder of The Bad Bitch Empire and the author of the just-released book, The Bad Bitch Business Bible. She knows what it's like to grow up as a good girl, trying to be perfect, diminishing your worth, people-pleasing, and settling for a, quote, good job. Since then, she has broken free of what she calls good girl brainwashing and committed to becoming unapologetic and free. She has built and sold a business to a $1 billion fintech company. She's helped over 100,000 women launch, fundraise, and scale their businesses. She's been paid to speak on over 100 global stages, and she's been awarded the Forbes 30 Under 30 and Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Powerful Women Awards. Take a listen. One of the hardest things about being a CEO or being a manager or a leader is finding and carving out space to think. That is one of the reasons why I made the Wise Women's Council. Twice a month, we bring wise, vetted experts in to support you in your leadership development. Our core business trainings help CEOs and leaders make complex decisions more easily, learn how to say no, learn how to ask for help, and build a life and a business based on whole person leadership principles. Our leadership sessions support you in deepening your own internal wisdom, building at your personal growth edges, and improving your stamina and energy reserves. It's called the Wise Women's Council. We've been running it for six years now, and we open only twice a year for enrollments, once in the spring and once in the fall. If you want to find out more about this program and what people have to say about it, head over to startupparent.com slash WWC. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Mm. I want to start with mindset and I want to start with your business because At Startup Parent and in the Wise Women's Council, it's a leadership incubator that we run. One of our core philosophies is that we don't have to do things the way they've always been done. We talk a lot about deprogramming from motherhood myths and lies and deprogramming from social conditioning, which is like when I found you and when I learned what you were about and the empire that you're building and the way that you teach people to undo the social conditioning. Mm, I'm so excited to talk to you. So talk to me about good girl brainwashing. Can you tell me what this is and how you discovered it? Good girl brainwashing are all the societal and media messages that train women to be small, silent, subordinate. And it has these habits ingrained in us like people-pleasing, perfectionism, fear of speaking up. And just prioritizing everyone else before ourselves. It makes us forget our own dreams for the sake of other people's dreams. And the way I discovered it is really in myself. And I had gone through my entire life as a good girl, getting straight A's, getting gold medals, listening to authority, getting into the Ivy League school, following the route into Wall Street. And It really was throughout all of this, by the time I started my career, that I realized that despite what I was achieving outside, 
inside, I still felt like I wasn't enough. Inside, I still felt inferior, like I had to prove myself that I was unworthy. And I realized that I had to dig in deep to understand where did these feelings of not enoughness come from? And it really starts with the way society treats women and gives us messages from a young age that tells us, you are not enough. You are not good enough. You are not pretty enough. You are not skinny enough. You are not brave enough. You are not experienced enough. And so when we start internalizing these messages, we effectively start to shrink ourselves for the sake of everyone else. And we forget how powerful we really are. And I think it's that messaging that continues to be most detrimental to a woman, especially as she ascends in her life and in her career. Because the thing about the good girl brainwashing is that as a good girl, it might help you get in the door, right? When you're a good girl, your parents say, yes, good girl. And then you're like, oh, great, I did a good job. And that that is what gets you the straight A's. That is what gets you the approval. But when you want to become a leader, when you want to start creating impact in this world, there's a point at which you realize that being a good girl is actually the greatest disservice to you as a woman. Oh, I love that you acknowledge the fact that like sometimes it's almost strategic, right? You're learning to play the game. You see all these rules. You're like, okay, this might get me somewhere. And so we learn and we adapt, which is really, I think, important and essential. But also then as you grow, as you kind of mature, but also see the greater games being played around you, what you said, being a good girl is the greatest disservice to you as a woman. Oh my goodness. Okay. Do you have a specific moment? Do you have a specific set of stories? Like when did a light bulb happen for you where you're like, wait a second, this is not what it seems? There are so many stories that come to mind. And I think often for women, including myself, there wasn't one story. It's a it's a series of small paper cuts, right? Being overlooked, undervalued, assumed as inferior over and over and over again. And it really is at some point, there's just a straw that breaks the camel's back. And you're like, I'm tired. I'm just tired of being labeled as X, Y, or Z, you know, either you are a bitch or you're crazy or you're to this or not enough that. And it's that feeling of no matter what I do, nothing is ever good enough. And I have plenty of these moments. And even I can say specifically with my company now in the Bad Bitch Empire, it's funny because in building this company, I was still overcoming the good girl brainwashing myself. I was still finding ways where I wasn't being the bad bitch that I needed to be. And mostly for me, this has to do with boundaries and the types of things I used to allow into my energy or allow into my space, the types of disrespect, the types of behavior And I think we all know this. It's like that condescending comment of like, oh, that's cute. Oh, you should smile more. Oh, whatever they have to say, it's that little thing. And you're like, nah, it's not a big deal. I'll just ignore it. Or even things like I get told today, Lisa, why does your brand, the Bad Bitch Empire, hate men? I used to get triggered from that. And I realized that now that's a boundary because If I have to one more time say empowering women has absolutely nothing to do with men, it has absolutely nothing to do with you. It's like saying, if I love chocolate, it doesn't mean I automatically hate vanilla. I just really love chocolate. Yeah. But that was a boundary. You know, I think that's just like one of the most recent things that I experienced where I felt like I was getting attacked and then. Even that good girl reaction is sometimes to either like hold it in, get really reactive. And this, this is my boundary that I don't deal with people who purposely choose to misunderstand. Mic drop. (laughs) And that's just a mindset reframe. Quotable. So quotable. The I don't deal with people who choose to purposely misunderstand me. Right. Absolutely. And I think the good girl brainwashing, it's so interesting. I have had many experiences in my life where I will go into an environment, I'll go into a scene, I'll go into a conversation, and I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Do they like me? Am I good enough to be here? There's so many default assumptions that I bring in. And lately, 
I enjoy this so much. So I think you'll love this too. But lately I've been walking in and I've been like, are you smart enough for me? Do I care what you have to say? Like, do you qualify to enter my sphere? And I think old me would have thought that was so arrogant and so mean. And now I'm like, no, I don't have to default give everyone me. I can be selective about who I let in and who I even, (laughs) in the mad men ethos from Don Draper, like who I even care to consider about. Do you know that elevator scene? He's like in the elevator and there's someone being, he says like, oh my gosh, I'm so worried. I was so worried about what you're thinking about me. And he just slowly turns to the side and he goes, oh, you? I don't even think about you at all. And I think about that all the time now when I'm in a situation where I'm like, oh, this can be my boundary. Like I don't have to give you 100% of my attention, my time, my energy. Oh, so you're all about boundaries. I want to bring it back to boundaries because I love this so much. Can you talk more about how do you establish those energetically, relationally? Like how do you build and develop those? Wow. This has been such a work in progress for my entire life. And I think this is one of the greatest challenges for the good girls of the world because we are people pleasers. We want people to like us. We have been trained to not offend people, to play small. And every choice you make that is for you exclusively, that can be considered selfish and bitchy. And so I started with an exercise, and this is an exercise that I share with my coaching clients. I share it in my book, and it's about establishing your values first and foremost. And it's like how every company has a set of company values. And even if you're not the CEO of a company, you are the CEO of your life. And so it's really important to know what your values are because your values dictate your boundaries. And a good set of values are values that have, let's say, anti-values, right? It's very clear what is a no and very clear what is a F yes. And one of my biggest values is growth. Then that means I look for people who are growth-oriented, who are proactively doing inner work, who are proactively working on their self-awareness and their trauma and understanding how their reactions are not the ones that they want to have and where those come from. You know, it's the deep work. And so it is therefore okay, not even okay, it is perfectly acceptable for me to choose not to bring in someone into my life relationally, friendship-wise, business-wise, who is not proactively doing that in their life. And I don't need to feel bad about it. And I also don't need to shame them for it, but it's just, no, thank you. So the values is huge. I love this exercise so much. There's a huge breakthrough that my partner and I had in our family, which is we have personal values. So me, Sarah, I have personal values. Alex has personal values. We both run companies. Our companies both have core values. Those are different than our individual values. And then our family has core values. And so a lot of times when we're making complex decisions or when we're doing things, we're also evaluating like, how do these core values interact and which ones are we prioritizing to like towards what objective? And sometimes it's a mashup of both. It's like, well, this is, you know, 80% family, but also we've got to make sure it vets through the individual and the company values. Otherwise it's still a no. So Bravo. Tell me more about the exercises you do, if you don't mind me geeking out about this with you. Like, how do you get into those values conversations with your clients? It really starts with even asking yourself, what do you admire most about yourself? And that starting point is really an indication of who your highest self is, because that's really who we want to be at the end of the day. We want to be that best version of ourselves. And a lot of times we're just, you know, lazy. We let things slide or have weak boundaries and then we let in wrong or toxic energy into our lives. And then next thing we know, we are the worst versions of ourselves or at least not the best. And when you ask yourself, what is the best version of myself? What do I love and admire and respect most about me? That is a first indication of what your values are. So for example, for me, I love that I am growth oriented. I love that I am bold. 
And I love that I'm self-aware and I love that I proactively seek to have integrity. I love that I value quality. So those were all just things that I realized, okay, great. So quality is really important to me. That means like even when I am, you know, right now I'm single and when I'm looking for a partner, I do notice things in terms of how do they carry themselves? Do they care about quality, quality of communication, quality of the types of people they surround themselves with, quality of work? Integrity is something that I think of. And when I say I'm always working on it, it's do you walk the walk of what you say you're going to do? Because it's a lot of people say they want to do things, they're going to do things, they overpromise, underdeliver. That's not integrity. It's a combination of honesty, but also being honest with yourself about the things you say and the things you do. When I think about the best versions of myself, it's like growth, it's integrity, it's quality, it's boldness. And that last one, even about boldness, courage, which is effectively the value that it is, right? Courage and bravery to stand up and speak out about what you care about, even if you are going to be called names or get hated on, but you're like, no, I know who I am. I know what I stand for. And that type of courage is what I look for in anyone that I surround myself with. And that's sometimes it's hard to find, but that's okay. And I think the kindest thing sometimes is I see people who are drowning, who are struggling, who are suffering, who are oppressed, whatever it is. And sometimes I know I'm like, you're just surviving. I know that these behaviors are also like for a reason. And so it gives me the kindness to also set a boundary as needed or to offer support as needed. Mm. I am just going to pull something off of my wall because I think you're going to love it. Oh, hold on. Let me grab. I got to grab these from all over. So I love values. Values. Okay. So check this out, by the way. Kindness, bravery, creativity. Yeah. And so those, when I did a values exercise, it was in October of last year. These are the ones that came up and it was so fascinating to me because there's also courage. It's not written down, but courage. I had both courage and bravery, and I had empathy and compassion. I had a lot of similar words and realizing that they actually mean different things, right? Really drilling down into what each specific word is. And bravery was one, it's a word I don't think about myself at all. But I asked, I did a similar question, you know, what do you admire most about yourself? I asked a group of close friends, I said, what do you think of when you think about me? And almost every single person said bravery. And I was like, that is fascinating because I don't identify with that. I don't feel that way. Because what I feel is awkward. I feel growth. I feel uncertainty. I feel bewilderment. And yet the cultivation of all of that is about bravery. And so I ended up realizing that the value that I resonate with is this. It says, try it and see. Try it and see. Because I'm like, why not? Let's try something new and let's see. And then I found another value. I'm so sorry. I'm like just obsessed with this. I'm like a four-year-old too excited to share with you, but like listen to your body is another one. Um, And then one of our family values, huge, right? I've been leaning into the listening to your body. Yes. And your instincts. And as someone who is very mental, like I care a lot about cognition and rationality and just like thoughts in my head. It's been a process to let go of that and just say that tiny, tiny feeling of discomfort, like that's enough. Or just that initial ick moment. Yes. It's wisdom. It's in you. That's it. That's enough. It's before and beyond the brain. It is so important. And women are conditioned out of listening to their bodies. We're conditioned into believing our bodies are for someone else and should be an image for some. You said so many things just here. I'm going to repeat some of them because just like snaps, you know, over-promising and under-delivering. You said that earlier is not integrity. Yes, so much. And Justine is commenting, it is so countercultural for women to celebrate what we love about ourselves. Like even that is an act of bravery and an act of resistance and rebellion to be like, hold up. Let me tap into my four-year-old self or my five-year-old self and be like, I'm awesome. Let me think about why. You know what? I love rainbows. And also, I'm really generous and I share with my friends. And also, 
I set up awesome parties, tea parties in the backyard, like whatever it is, like just, oh, I want to honor that. And everyone listening, if you're giggling or laughing or it feels awkward, keep going, right? Like there is a world where you can wholeheartedly love parts of yourself and it's a really fabulous world. And that's right. All of you. That's right. I will say I'm turning 40 this year and it took a minute. You go. Say. This morning I posted a reel on Instagram and I've been working on the mindset of social media where you just like put it out. You're like, I don't care. I don't care how it does. And we all know this if we're creators. Like you put things out and like that takes bravery, right? To put yourself out on social media, to share a message and then to be like, what if nobody likes this? I'm not immune to that either. And I put it out there and there was one woman who commented and she said, thank you, I needed this. And normally I would kind of just move on with my day and I was like, you know, heart, you know, like thanks for whatever, just little hearts. But this time in the practice of loving myself, I was like, damn, I just boosted this woman's day and my work is done here. If I did absolutely nothing else today and my one Instagram reel made someone feel good today, I'm going to celebrate myself. And just that in and of itself versus like, okay, now I got to do this. Being able to take a moment and see the impact that you are making with your work, even if it is just one person, that is enough. You could see me. I'm like raising my hands, like a V formation over my head being like, yes, 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 yes. Tell me more about the bad bitch empire and tell me more about the business that you run how did you get there? And what's it like to be running it? Talk to us about that. The Bad Bitch Empire is building unapologetic worth and wealth for women. And we have a podcast, a newsletter, we have a fund. So it's an investment collective that allows women to invest together in female-led businesses and specifically high-growth, tech-enabled female-led businesses that are creating exponential impact in the world. And so our focus is really on training women to learn how to invest through our media, through our boot camps. We just finished up the Bad Bitch Investor Boot Camp, which was training women on everything from learning how to analyze businesses, learning how to figure out your investment budget, and then how to feel confident in putting your money into businesses and investments that will grow over time. And it really is a labor of love. And it's something that, you know, has taken me my whole life to get to this point. And even when you ask me, like, what is it like to run that? When I launched the Bad Bitch Empire a year ago, it was so scary to put out a brand called the Bad Bitch empire in a space of venture capital, finance, private equity. You know, I had come from a world, Wall Street, then Silicon Valley, venture capital, tech, all very heavily male-dominated industries. And we launched in the crypto space where it was all crypto bros, you know, with the Bad Bitch Bitcoin bootcamp. And it was really like all the things that I'd worked for in terms of, I had worked to get the approval of all of these hoity-toity people in all of these worlds from Wall Street to Silicon Valley. And I was going to come out with a brand called the Bad Bitch Empire. And a part of me was like, what if they think, who is she to put this brand out? Like, what is this brand? You know, it sounds like a joke. And I had all those little voices in my head and I was like, screw it. I know that this is going to be a really powerful, like just the brand itself is so powerful because when a woman calls herself a bad bitch, a little smile plays on her face. She's like, yeah, I am a bad bitch. And, and I realized like even that word bitch is giving a woman permission to be powerful. She's like, am I allowed to say that? And I'm like, hell yeah. yeah. You're allowed, like, who said you're not allowed to say that? Whose permission are you waiting for? And so it's an everyday act of courage to stand up as the leader of the bad bitch empire and continue to encourage women to be bad bitches themselves in the face of, honestly, a decent amount of backlash. 
I've had women who've come in and then say, like, why do you have to use the word bitch? Like, we really respect your mission. We really respect you, Lisa. But my friends don't like the use of the Mm -hmm. word bitch. And I've had men say to me, you know, with a brand like that, no one in Silicon Valley is going to take you seriously. Great. And I was like, I don't need you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do you you think that's what I build the brand for? And then what I realized was that the types of people who are uncomfortable with the word bitch, who are uncomfortable with the movement that I'm creating, they are the ones with the closest proximity to old money and old power. Yep. And so what does that bring up for them? It brings up deep down a sense Mm -hmm. of fear and defensiveness because what the bad bitch empire represents is a new world order. And a new world order where powerful women who are not afraid to stand up and speak out are actually going to take the lead. It's a movement of women who don't have to follow the status quo. And power really preys on two things. It can either prey on fear or it can harness from love. And our current system is all focused on preying on people's fear, their lack, their scarcity, right? An entire system that says you're not good enough, keep working for this, keep giving your money to the government. (laughs) It is true. I mean, it's true. And this rat race that we're all in, and especially women being thrust into work environments and work schedules that do not serve our bodies, that do not serve our rhythms, that do not serve the way we naturally collaboratively want to work. We are in a competitive zero-sum system that pits us against each other, and that is only serving a very small group of men at the top to continue to make sure that women are fearful, that we are scarce, that we are competitive with each other, And the moment we realize that we are powerful and more powerful when we collaborate and actually tap into our natural strengths and that we don't need their permission or approval, everything's going to go to hell in the best possible way. We're going to take a quick break. If you are thinking about joining us in the Wise Women's Council, make sure you apply to join us during our spring or our fall enrollment. Head to startupparent.com slash WWC to find out more about the Wise Women's Council. All right, let's get back into it. This whole conversation, I want to emphasize this part of When people express concern for you or give you like tiny pieces of feedback, things that make you question yourself or judge yourself. So in this example, what Lisa's talking about is like when people are like, oh, you shouldn't use bitch in the, like that's, mm, are you sure? I can't tell my friends about it. All of that like faux concern is one of the things that I love to do when people say things like that to me is just be like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, what's that bringing up for you? And flip it back around on them because the boundary is there. If I know what I'm doing and you're questioning it, it's like, why are you questioning it? What comes up for you? What does it make you feel? And if you really drill down what there is, just like you said, is fear. There's fear and defensiveness, and it's projected as concern for you. It's projected as, oh, let me help you. Let me give you some helpful advice. Mm, Maybe you should just change this one little thing about yourself to be more likable, to be more acceptable, to be more tolerable to other people. And I just love how much this is actually the owning what you're talking about for me, is being able to step back and say, oh, you know what? This is a you problem. Like, you have a problem with this. I don't. And other people don't, but you do. And what's that bringing up for you? So just bless you and thank you for saying all of that. I'm going to go sideways here for a second because I would be remiss not to talk about this. You are a four-time USA national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast. I am in awe. I've done some swimming in my life. Like I swam in college. I love finding fellow athletes, but not at your level. Like, wow. What was it like to 
go from being this world-class Olympic level, just fierce competitor and in your body in many different ways and transitioning into a very different world. Or maybe it's similar to you. I wonder what your experience is like then moving into serial entrepreneurship and investing and that. What was that like for you? It was really difficult. And the experience of being a gymnast is, I mean, first and foremost, it's not glamorous at all. The time on the mat in front of people where you're in the lights is one minute out of the tens of thousands of hours that you are actually training behind the scenes. And the thing that a lot of people don't talk about, though, is the transition afterwards, which is really a moment of often lost identity and depression for a lot of athletes. And that identity is I've anchored my identity for a decade of my life from 9 to 19 as a gymnast. And suddenly I wasn't. And I had grown up in that sport. And so the shift was to figure out who am I, if not a gymnast. And that process of refinding my identity was really, really tough. That is what led me to try out seven different majors in college. It was what led me to have a lot of indecision around like, is this the right path? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Which I think a lot of people have. What gymnastics gave me was the feeling of deep passion for a particular purpose. I was a gymnast. And when I was nine years old, I said, I'm going to the Olympics. And that was my 10-year goal. For the next 10 years, that's what I trained for. And so I had that dedication, that focus. And no matter how many times I fell, I knew how to get back up again because I still had that purpose and that passion. And it wasn't until I found this purpose now, which is gender equality, it's female empowerment, that I realized that that's what I want to focus my life on because that is not an easy thing to drive towards. There's so much work to be done, but it really came from, I found that spark of passion. I found that fire in those times when I had the small paper cuts. Your passion and your purpose come from finding that moment of anger. I think a lot of times when there are two types of emotions that you tap into to find your purpose. Number one is anger. And what got you really, really angry, really, really riled up? Because that is an indication of an injustice in the world that you want to solve. The second one is joy. So... What is something you just love to do? Like you could do it all day. You could get lost in it. And how do you then combine that joy and that anger? And then when you put those together, that is where you can create passion and purpose. And so that is what I've brought into my career as an entrepreneur, as an investor. And, you know, all of it comes together in still investing in female-led businesses, empowering female entrepreneurs, leaders, and it's the thing that I love to do. And it's the women that I love to be surrounded by. And it just tends to attract, you know, me being out there, me being authentic to myself tends to attract the right yes. sorts of women as well. Oh, I want to ask you how many years went by between the end of your athletic career and then the exploration and the finding? What was the length of that journey like? So I retired when I was 19 from the sport and I started my previous company when I was 24. That was a previous company called SheWorks, which was acquired. And that was focused on closing the funding gap and helping female entrepreneurs raise funding. And after that business was sold in 2019, so now we are almost 10 years later, you know, at 2019, I was like, maybe I want to do other things. And so I had another period of exploration and it really wasn't until coming full circle until the last few years where I knew in my entire body and being that I was put on this earth to create light, to share. It's like I was put on this earth to create light and fight for women. 
And the reason I knew that, so my book, The Bad Bitch Business Bible, when I first pitched it, what had happened right before was that I had gone on a plant medicine journey. And it was a journey with a number of older women. And what I experienced was when I went into this journey, the shaman came and he would bless all the women first and then he would bless all the men after. And when the medicine started coming into my body, I started feeling this intense pain in my body. And it was like a pain I had never experienced before. And I was like from the top of my head to my stomach, I was crying. I was screaming. I was like, get this pain out of my body. I thought I was dying. And then that's when I started to see some of these spiritual visions. And it was suddenly I was surrounded by the ghosts of millions of women from the past who had been abused and killed and harmed and hurt and drowned and murdered. And I realized that the pain I was experiencing was not my own pain. It was the pain of all of these women, generations past, who had been hurt by our world, by our very patriarchal, abusive world. Like women are not treated well. And when they finally left, the pain finally went away. But I remember like I was crying, I had snot on my face. And then I was sitting on the bare mm. jungle floor and I didn't have anything mm. to wipe my face with. And so I took the leaves and the dirt and I was just like, just wiped it across my face, to take the snot off. And I felt like, wow, mm. I'm a warrior. Like I'm an effing warrior. And I have the strength of millions mm -hmm. of women behind me and that is when I knew that I was put on this earth to fight for women. And I remember when I told one of those older women um, about it, she had a daughter my age and she said, Lisa, you're a light worker and please don't stop what you're doing. You're meant to bring light. You're meant to pave the way for women who never had what we have today. And that is what drove me to have the full conviction of, wow, like I experienced the sisterhood, right? And I experienced what has happened in the past and realizing that we can't take for granted the freedoms that we have today as women. And so, you know, I pitched it to HarperCollins and then I got my six-figure book deal because I was like, this book needs to exist. The Bad Bitch Business Bible needs to exist in this world. And I had so much conviction that, they sensed it too. And so every time I forget that or I let a moment of doubt creep in or I let those voices tell me that I should be more pleasing, more tolerable, I remember like, no, like no woman ever made history by being polite. People, you can't see me. But I am like flapping my hands and cheering and fist pumping. Lisa, Say it again louder for those in the back. Like, just keep going. Pave the way. Oh, I have full body tingles listening to you. Yeah, if I stop my head, I'll cry right now. Like, I will. So I just want you to know how powerful that is for everyone and for everyone listening. I don't even know how to collect all that you just said. And I just want to just shout out the major transformation that happens, the complete loss of identity. I've seen this in so many people. I've lived through this myself. If you are an athlete or a performer, a musician, a Broadway person, if you're anyone that has this full career, this full lifetime of existence, and then it ends so shockingly and so suddenly. And sometimes it ends with not much fanfare. It's like you just wake up the next day and you're like, oh, it's done. That gut punch, that reconciliation, that like grappling with identity. I mean, it comes in other moments too for people who've lost major people, lost a parent young, gone through the fiery transformation that happens when your identity is almost called into question. It's just such a huge transformative moment. So I also want to honor for you, like, the 10 years you said that you went through, 
the 10 years, the company you built, the searching in college, it sounds like graduating at 19, searching through college through lots of different outlets, the starting a company, she works. I'm so curious. I want to ask a follow-up question. Did selling that company put you in the position to become an investor? Is that how you got to where you are? Or what did that look like? So that was a really interesting process. It actually allowed me to then bring my company to a place where into a much larger company, which is now a billion dollar fintech platform. And so it really catapulted me into the next stage of my career. Mm, I'm thrilled. I love when women are just so powerful and step into their power. So bravo, brava. And now you're building this empire, the bad bitch empire. You've got a book coming out. For people listening, I'm going to link this book and I'm going to link the social media, which is how I found you. Like you're writing so good, the positions, the stand that you take. Obviously, right? You can tell by listening. Obviously, this is just phenomenal. I want to turn now to talk about the parenting journey because you mentioned you're single, but you've also written a little bit about egg freezing and various journeys. So let's start by asking you, have you always wanted to become a parent? Like, is that something that's been part of your life or was that an emotional journey? Tell us about that part. So I have always known that I have had big goals. I've always wanted to achieve a lot in my life. And that has been my number one focus, whether that was gymnastics, whether that was building a big company, whether that was raising a fund, whether that was writing a book. I feel like I have so many creations that I want to come out of me. And I haven't yet gotten to a place in my life where I have the bandwidth to consider if I want a child yet. I've seen a lot of my friends start having children, of course, getting married, and I am super happy for them. I haven't felt that yet. You know, I haven't felt that desire to have a child. And I think that the time to have a child is if you have the luxury to choose is when you're ready and you feel good. And that's oftentimes what the freedom that men have had. Women have typically had to have this timeline when they're like, it's too late. I have to do it now. Like now's the time to have a child. And then there's a lot of women who weren't ready when they had their children. And the technology of egg freezing is something that has given us an entire new way to think about our timeline. I remember the moment that I broke up with this other guy back, you know, years ago, and I was so sick of dating. I was so sick of dealing with mediocre men. And I felt like I was constantly settling. And I realized that it was coming from the pressure that I had from my parents to find a man. And I was like, I don't even like this. Like, I don't like doing this. I just want to focus on my goals. I really just want to birth my creative babies out into the world. And can you please stop putting pressure on me to like find a man so so I can have kids? Right. So that's usually right. the narrative. Find a man so you can recreate. And she finally saw how unhappy it was truly making me, like this process and this pressure of must find a man to be complete. And she said, okay, well then just freeze your eggs. Like, I just want you to make sure you don't regret it. Or when you do feel like you want children, like to have that option. And that's when I realized she was right. That freezing my eggs would give me optionality. It would give me freedom. It would give me the ability to take control of my timeline. And it really gave me the ability to operate my life with the freedom that men have always had, which is they get to prioritize their careers. They get to prioritize whatever they want. And then when they're ready, they're like, okay, now I'll have kids. And it's been just so liberating to let go of that to feel totally fine saying I'm choosing not to date right now I'm choosing not to even prioritize that at all because there are other things that I want to do in my life and when the time comes if the time comes that it feels good for me to have children then that's when I'll do it Mm. 
I love the clarity with which you approach this decision-making and like the trust at each step of the way, but also the exploration and the curiosity and the noticing. And this part made me unhappy. And this question is irritating. I'm going to get on a tiny soapbox of a rant for a moment, but also it can be a big soapbox. I am just so over the idea that motherhood is the ultimate destiny of a woman and that you're incomplete without motherhood. What a load of bullshit. Like, what a fucking load of bullshit. There are people who regret becoming a parent. There are people who have other purposes and destinies and desires in life. There are people for whom motherhood is excruciatingly hard. There are people for whom motherhood has been ripped away from them. Like, look at the history of the United States. We have ripped motherhood out of the hands of many people who are black and brown and people of color. And that's horrifying and disgusting. And also, you are a complete person. You just are. I'm not talking to you, Lisa. I just happen, we happen to be looking at each other. This is for everyone. Like, you are a full person. You do not have to create an embryo or a zygote for that to be possible. And the second half of this rant is that if you want children in your life, you will have children in your life, full stop. There are so many children out there who need kind-hearted and beautiful and wonderful adults. And like, I think we need to be creative and open to the way that it happens. And this is what I told my partner. He didn't want children when we first met. And I said to him, I said, I know this about myself. I know that there will be lots of children in my life. Whether I am an elementary school teacher or a high school teacher or a foster parent or an adoptive mom, or I have 12 babies of my own, like this is the person that you are dating. And let's talk about what that looks like. Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but motherhood does not need to fulfill you. Motherhood can absolutely transform you, but just like we see with athletics, there are so many moments in life that have the power to transform you and completely shift who you are. And it doesn't just have to be children. Okay. I'm gonna get off my rant. Thank you for giving me that space while I'm interviewing you. (sighs) Lisa, talk to me about egg freezing. Did you go through it? What was it like for you? Tell us your story. It was really not as bad as I thought. So my mom actually came to live with me during that time and it was really nice. And it was a process of every day slash every other day, depending on the week going into the doctor's office where you start with, they look at your egg count, like the predicted number of eggs that you'll be able to produce given your hormone levels, given your health, given your age. And they let you know what that number is. And then you start going through the blood work, you know, daily. They give you the hormones that you go pick up. And then every night you need to inject these hormones into your stomach, into your leg, into the area around your torso and what you're basically doing with the hormones is you're stimulating your body to create more eggs than it normally does, exponentially more eggs than it normally does. So usually you've got one egg per cycle and then next thing you know, you are Mm. incubating dozens of eggs at the same time. So during that time, you're not allowed to work out. You're not allowed to do any sort of strenuous exercise, walking, you'd be really careful. I really focused on eating healthy during that time. It was interesting because that is the closest experience I've had to motherhood at this point in terms of like, wow, I'm actually growing dozens of eggs in my stomach right now. I have to be careful and I can't you know, do all these things. And I have to actually treat my body well. I actually have to feed it in a way that's not just me wanting to get some junk food because I feel good, but like, oh no, I want to nourish my body. I want to nourish what's growing inside of me, which is a really different feeling than I've had before. And I felt for the first time like, wow, this is a more nurturing feeling towards my body and towards what my body is capable of. And so even just finding that time to you know, normally, because I'm an athlete, like I work out every single day and I work out hard. And to be forced to not be able to do that for three weeks, I don't think I've... Yeah. It's so disruptive. To force myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it really forced me to have a different relationship to my body and say, I do love myself when I'm not working out. I do love myself when for three weeks I'm like barely walking and I am gaining weight. And 
then allowing the feeling of nourishing and sacred space and power was more powerful than the insecurity around not working out or gaining weight. And at the end of it, I got my eggs extracted and it was great, easy. And then I threw myself in a freezing shower (laughs) with my friend. So that was really nice. And I share this in my vlog, my documentary that I'm going to release soon. And I talk about how as much as we should celebrate the next generation of lives coming into this earth, when we have baby showers, we should celebrate the lives of the women who are already on this earth Hmm. and choosing their own path. And so that's what the egg freezing shower was really a symbol for me. It's like celebrating myself for prioritizing my timeline and also giving myself optionality and freedom. Look at that. I love the ceremony too, the the aspect of celebrating every stage. There's so much in the Cinderella story of a woman's life that's about like racing to the next point. Hurry up and get engaged. Hurry up. Like once you get engaged, it's like, when are you getting married? When's the date? Once you have the wedding, it's like, when are you having children? So many of these questions are foisted on you. Actually, you know what? I'm going to celebrate every piece of this. And also, we do not have this in the Western American society, but like the rituals and it's a ceremony, not celebration, but the ritual and ceremony for loss too, for the parts that don't work, right? The mourning, the transformation of like, I decided not to have children. And that part of me is conflicted and parts of me are sad. Parts of me are elated. Parts of me are sad, right? Really honoring and celebrating each piece. You know, this world is really hard to find a partner in and being that, having space to talk about those feelings. I love how much you are in touch with the emotions and the presence of it. Okay, I want to turn to a rapid fire round to do some quick questions for you as we close up. First of all, if you could share one piece of advice for every woman, what would it be? You do not need permission to be powerful. What are some of the advantages you have as a female entrepreneur? My intuitiveness, my wisdom, my ability to fall and get back up again, my big picture thinking, my creativity. What do you struggle with right now? I struggle with giving myself a break. Mm, Like rest? My good girl habit is perfectionism. 100%. I was trained to be a perfect 10 gymnast. And so deeply ingrained in me and it's given me high standards and understanding of what good quality work is and perfectionism is also what drives me to do everything and to feel like I have to do everything so for the first time in my life I am bringing on a team of women that I really respect and trust And that transition is definitely something that I'm feeling really excited about and I think will give me the ability to focus on the things that I really love to do. And so I think that break comes from taking a break from doing the logistical things that I don't like Mm -hmm. doing, that we all have the superwoman Mm. syndrome where like we can do everything and do everything, but you don't have to do everything. Mm. You're speaking to my soul because I think I charged into motherhood believing with the mindset of like, I can do it all if I just like work hard enough. If I, I can just like, if I have the right systems and all of this and yeah, no, that just punched me in the face and told me, sit down. You are valuable if you are not doing things and you are loved and cherished even if you are a complete mess. That was a really, really awfully hard but powerful transformation for me. Tell us about the book. The book is called The Bad Bitch Business Bible. It is the Bible to the empire. And it is the 10 commandments to break free of good girl brainwashing and take charge of your body, your boundaries, and your bank account. It is the 10 bad bitch commandments that will help you do that. And so each chapter you dive into the commandments and they are a reflection of stories from my good girl days and the mistakes that I made 
as well as stories from coaching clients that I worked with to help raise money, to help launch their businesses, and really tactical tips on how to become the baddest bitch you can be in business. So whether it comes to negotiating, whether it's setting boundaries, whether it's asserting your value or figuring out how to allocate your money, how to budget, how to invest, how to think bigger when it comes to building your business idea. There's all of these things that I have gone through and a lot of it is the mindset shift. So a lot of that deep inner work that I've done, there's tons of exercises throughout the book to help you figure out things like what are your values? What do you love about yourself? How do you speak up? How do you find your voice? And what do you love about your voice? There's those exercises that I'm really excited for women to go through. And I think importantly is the bank account section. So I don't think we've talked too much about bank accounts here, but you can't be a bad bitch until you got your bank account sorted. And at the end of the day, people can laugh at you. They can hate on you. They can call you names but you'll be laughing all the way to the bank. If you are a bad bitch who knows how to handle your money. Where can people find out about you and where can they buy your book? You can go to badbitchempire.com, sign up for our newsletter. We've got weekly tips to help you become the baddest bitch you can be. And that's where you can find the book as well. The book is on Amazon. If you go on the website, you'll be able to find ways to support local female-led bookstores, get it from them. And you can find me at Lisa Carmen Wang on Instagram, lisacarmenwang.com. It's just everywhere you look, it's either Bad Bitch Empire or Lisa Carmen Wang. I want to tell you a couple of things that people have said about the Wise Women's Council. One of our members said that business support is top notch. On one of our calls, one person said, my mind is already blown and we're only seven minutes in. Hillary said, Sarah, you are one of the best facilitators I have ever met. And Dana said, if you're somebody that regularly designs community or holds space for other people, here's a place where you don't have to because Sarah has figured it all out for you and you can just be when you're in this space. Caroline said once on a call, she said, I'm normally one of those people that's thinking all the time about how you can facilitate something better. And Caroline said, I don't have to do that when I'm with you. Michelle said it's one of the only places she doesn't have to code switch between so many different identities. She doesn't have to hide being a mom. She doesn't have to hide being a business owner. She doesn't have to explain herself over and over again to different people and have them not understand her. If you are living at the intersection of parent, mom, business owner, leader, entrepreneur, facilitator, or you are running a company, come check out the Wise Women's Council. That's a place I made for you. It's what I needed when I first became a parent, and we've been running this program for six years. Head to startupparent.com slash WWC to find out more about the Wise Women's Council and apply to join us today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And thank you to our guests whose time, energy, and insight are so helpful. And thank you for being a listener. You can find out more about our guests in our show notes and on our website, startupparent.com. I want to give another shout out to all of our amazing sponsors who help make this show possible. We are so grateful to get to work with you and partner with so many wonderful companies and organizations that are dedicated to making life better for entrepreneurs, female founders, and working parents. If you are interested in sponsoring the show and partnering with us, then head to startupparent.com slash sponsor and you can send a note to our sponsorship team. Did you know that we have a new Substack and we have a secret podcast? Oh, yes, we do. Head to Startup Parents Substack. The link is startupparent.substack.com. I'll put the link in the show notes and check out our secret podcast. When you become a paid backer, when you upgrade your subscription and you join our community, you get lots of perks for being a community member. 
For our paid backers, I host a monthly private podcast where I dig into the nitty gritty of business building and parenting and everything in between. Listeners and readers get to submit questions, then I pick one or two each month and we dive deep into it. In addition, for our paid backers, we host our Startup Parent Monthly Book Club. This is where we get to talk about interesting books with other smart and interesting and kind people. And I run book club a little bit differently. You can read the book if you have time, but chances are you don't always have time to read the book. So the way I host book club is that anyone can join whether or not you've read the book because I give you a summary of it up at the beginning and then I frame up four questions from the book that we can talk about and you'll always be in rooms with other people that have read the book so we can share knowledge and wisdom. The purpose of book club is to have rich and interesting and insightful conversations not to judge you on whether or not you had a chance to read a book. So our secret podcast and our private book club those are just two of the perks that we offer for people who become community members and that's not all. I love getting to say that phrase. That's not all. There are actually a lot of other perks, and I'm going to let you discover them when you go to our Substack. Last but not least, if you liked this episode, I would be grateful if you would leave us a review. It means a lot to the show, and it helps other people find us. So definitely leave a review. I read every single one of them, and I'm so grateful when I see your name in my inbox and when I see that people are leaving more reviews. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, and I will see you on the next episode.